Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores, led by Walmart and Target, are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall Credit Card Bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall Credit Card Bill. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. Welcome, everybody, to a Baseball America podcast, along with J.J. Cooper. I'm John Manuel. J.J. is joining us live from uh, Port Charlotte, Florida, as we uh, start our spring training uh, whipple round, I guess you could say. In uh, at Baseball America this spring. If only we were doing this all in one video feed, JJ, it would be awesome. But we've got. Now we go to Arizona. And again to Arizona. And, and again, again to Arizona. Exactly. But now we go to Florida. So we have three Jokers in Arizona. Uh, Josh Norris already there. Ben Badler and Matt Eddy going over the weekend. Ben for an international tour and uh, international prospects being brought to Arizona. And Matt Eddy for the Sabre Conference. Josh is there just covering spring training like you are. And JJ. You're in Florida, so first off, sorry. Second of all, <laughs> what's the best part? What's the best part of spring training in Florida? Uh, if, if you had to give one, um, the best part is is that you you know the pods. Like in in Arizona, you know there are teams that there's a lot more shared complexes and all that. But I, I do like here that you have these little pods of four teams, and right. so. Pretty easily in a day, you can see some aspects of four different teams. Um, you know, if you go over, well, or three, you go over to a to the workouts in the morning and you see one club. And if you really want to and hustle, you can then go to another club during the afternoon and see, you know, two teams facing off, two clubs playing, playing each other. So you do have that kind of going for it. And I. Uh, not gonna really help me if you're coming down to you know as a fan hey you got the beach is not far away too i mean that's the difference between florida and arizona that's a but, great point that's, uh, a, that's an important uh, distinction didn't even pack a swimsuit john i'm you know i've got i've got seven days here and i plan on uh packing in as much baseball as i can not as much uh beach but yeah, I guess, uh i guess the other difference is the color green versus the color brown yes. you know there's a lot of green you know there's a lot of green here there's a lot of brown and a lot of gravel in uh, in Arizona. That's for sure. A lot of crushed red brick. So, um, so now you started off in Dunedin, correct? Uh, the, the capital of the uh, capital city of Florida, on the west coast. But you, so you're starting on the west coast. Who who have you seen so far? So I've seen. Okay, first day of minor league spring training on t- Tuesday. Saw Blue Jays and Phillies, both their A ball clubs, uh, and then yesterday. I saw Red Sox and Twin, both their A-ball clubs. And then today, I'm at, as you mentioned, Port Charlotte. I'm at the Rays Complex right now. I've watched BP and workouts here in the morning. Now I'm headed to Sarasota to watch Rays and Orioles double-A and triple-A clubs face each other over at the uh, Orioles Complex. And then tomorrow, going over to Bradenton, 
to see uh, Tyler Glasnow pitch and watch uh, Pirates. I can't remember who the Pirates are playing yet. Um, and then, oh, it's got to be the Phillies, the Blue Jays, or the Yankees, though, because that's their little pod. And then this weekend, head over to Kissimmee, see the Astros, and then hopefully get over to Jupiter, see the Cardinals and Marlins, maybe the Braves. And I'll wrap up uh, with a little swing by the Yankees uh, camp for workouts on Tuesday before flying back out. Well, let's start off then with that Toronto-Philadelphia day, uh, what, you, what you kind of saw down there. And I guess the, the, those are two you know, bottom 10 ranked farm systems, at least in the handbook. We'll do another organization talent ranking in uh, our minor league preview issue next, which uh, we're wrapping up part two of our major league preview with the focus on the rookies of this issue of Baseball America. Then we'll have the minor league preview next issue, uh, which a lot of the spring training reporting uh, clearly is geared to. Um, but, J.J., when we talk about uh, those two organizations, they're ranked in the bottom ten for completely different reasons. Toronto, mostly because it traded away all of its talent. Philadelphia, because they just really haven't drafted and developed much talent uh, as much recently. And, but they're both, they're both organizations that take a lot of risks. They're high-risk, high high-reward draft philosophies. Um, was that evident when you saw their, uh, their, their clubs and, and uh, the, the one-day look that you had? Oh yeah, um, I would say with the Blue Jays, they're a as you said they're a, you know they're probably a bottom third organization. But at the same time, if you ask me right now, I, I'd say that they they have a a fifty fifty shot. They could either really improve in the next year in the rankings or kind of fall backwards even further because there's so many young high ceiling talents in that organization. Like watching Franklin Barreto and Mitch Ney and Rowdy Tellez and, and guys like that. DJ, I didn't get to see DJ Davis that day, but DJ Davis. There's a whole lot of guys like that who, if it all comes together, you know, these, are, these are guys who may go to Lansing this year. None of them really were in full season ball last year, but there's a ton of guys who could be top 100 prospects. Right. But if with with all with a lot of them, there's that okay. Well, we've got to see it, <laughs> and they're really kind of early enough in their careers that we haven't had a chance to see it much yet. But so that you have that, and the Phillies do have some some interesting guys as well. I mean, these are two organizations. I would say that again, they're different. The Phillies don't have a whole lot of depth, but J.P. Crawford's fascinating. Watching right. him. Um, you know, so you got guys like that. You just don't have nearly as many guys with the Phillies like that as you do with the Blue Jays. But J.P. Crawford, obviously Michael Franco, who's up, uh, you know, with, with the Major League camp, Jesse Biddle. You have those guys. But what, what I saw, you, you see <laughs> there were less guys. I'll put the there, there were less guys who were jumping out with the Phillies than there were with the Blue Jays, which I kind of expected considering the fact that the Blue Jays have so many young high ceiling talents. Yeah, and you're talking about, um, you know, you, you tweeted about Carlos Tochi. He's one of those high ceiling talents. I will say that the one thing that the Phillies have done, I think, fairly well in recent years, uh, you know, they, 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 I think they've created a lot of value for a lot of their international signings. You know, a guy like uh, uh, last year, Severino Gonzalez, is a guy who was, again, a low ceiling, thought of, low dollar signing. They didn't invest a ton of money in him. Um, they're usually not an organization that spends a ton of money on international guys, but it did give Carlos Tochi you know, close to $760,000. Um, you may have seen Luis Encarnacion or David Grion uh, when you saw them. So there are some... Oh, Debbie. Oh, Debbie. So there's some, there's some higher-ceiling international guys down there. I wasn't sure what your take was, maybe on uh, the minor skinniest man, Carlos Tochi, and then uh, David Grion. 
Well, with with, with Carlos <laughs> talking to him, a uh, little bit in English, a little bit in Spanish, and a little bit of help of a translator, uh, he he gained eight pounds this summer, this off season, which is good. Now, the the bad. Bad news for, for Carlos is he needs to do that next offseason. He needs to do that the offseason after that. He needs to do that the offseason after that. So he's right now, you, you know, he's still not 170 and he's still really skinny. And he's probably, he's never going to be thick. He's never probably going to be uh, a big guy by any stretch. But everything we heard in the South Atlantic League last year was hey, more than anything, it's not the swing mechanics are a problem that much or anything. It's just he can't impact the baseball yet. And if right. you can't impact baseball, there's just not a whole lot you can do offensively. And teams, pitchers don't really uh, have much reason to nibble or anything like that. Great defensively, great instincts. Uh, talked to his manager last year, probably his manager again this year, Greg Legg. And he made the point, the thing that stood out to him is, is here you're talking about a guy who's 17, and he remembers him throwing to the wrong base once, maybe twice all last year. He said, you just don't see that with the young guy. He understands the game. He's fascinating those ways like there's a lot there to like could be a, a plus center fielder who can run he really kind of glides you know all the good baseball instincts all that but you just want to see him get bigger and stronger it is worth remembering he's gonna play all this year almost all this year as an 18 year old so it's not something like he's still going back to the south atlantic league he's still going to be one of the younger guys in that league but he's he's interesting but he also there are some significant caveats there and that's the part that you, with a lot of these guys, you have to remember. It's like, okay, that's why I'm really excited that we're we got spring training going, and then we're going to have games going. It's it's great because when you get to the games, then we start to see some of these things. Okay, is he making that adjustment? Is he have has that developed? And I don't know about you, but that's the part where you get to that February point where it's like, okay, we've we've really evaluated and analyzed and talked to as many people as we can about what happened last year. Right. I'm ready for new things to happen yeah, so absolutely. that we can start talking to them about what's happening this year. Absolutely. No, that's one of the, I mean, I'm just ready for this year. I mean, uh, it, we've had enough winter. Uh, it's, it's great that college baseball season's happening, but uh, you know, like really this week is when minor league games uh, really start getting played in the, on those back fields. And uh, it's exciting to actually have some minor league, and some prospect stuff going on. And J.J. really is kind of revolutionary uh, in the last couple of years, just how much spring training is on TV, how much, uh, probably a column for next issue, but <laughs> there's so many more opportunities to, to see minor league games, uh, whether it's over the web. Uh, and just, it, you know, it, the, the profile is so much higher than, of course, college baseball games. I mean, it's crazy how many more college baseball games are on TV than used to be. So. Cool. Well, what, kind of one of the things that stood out to me, kind of when you talk about that, how much more baseball there is everywhere, is, is that, John, you and I are both kind of, by modern standards old, we've been watching baseball, following baseball since the 70s in some ways. So I, I've been going to spring training for more than 20 years now, and, and spring training's really changed over those 20 years. 20 years ago, spring training was still kind of a hidden gem. Teams were playing in, in parks that really, in many ways, were not a whole lot better than, uh, you know, than, than minor league parks really were some cases inferior to minor league parks. I remember at watching Expos and Braves games and they had chain link fencing, uh, you know, in some places, if I remember correctly. Well, now minor league spring training is big business. You can pay $10 to park to go to a spring training game. You can pay really big league prices to watch games that don't matter, which kind of baffles me in some ways. But 
the one place in spring training to me that's kind of still a hidden gem is going to the backfield. Absolutely. In most everywhere everywhere I've gone, it's a free. You just show up, you can, you know, and watch the games if you want. Not a whole lot of people do, but you get to see you've got usually two games going on on side field back to back. So if you're interested in this game, then you can put you know, you can really just turn your head and be watching a second game at the same time. Yesterday, I'm watching Trey Ball for the Red Sox on one mound and Cody Kukuk for the Red Sox on another mound. And you just you can and you could watch both of them do everything they did almost because it worked out that they were on the mounds at different times. Uh, you know, the half innings were flipping over at different rates. So the backfields is is a I I will be here for a week. I don't know if I'll go to a big league game while I'm here, and, and if I don't, I, I don't think I'll be missing much. Yeah, that is the best part to me about uh, minor league spring training. It's kind of like instructional league, only there's more kind of at stake, which is neat. Um, you know, people are more, <laughs> the players are more invested, and they're not gassed, you know. So I, I really kind of like that. No, uh, they're not gassed, and they're playing, really they're playing for something. Right. Because whether on, on every level, if you're a, pro, a top prospect, you're obviously not playing for your job. But you are playing to try to prove, hey, you were thinking about sending me to high A. I want to show you I'm ready to go to double A. Um, if you're uh, more of a, a kind of uh, a middling prospect, you're playing for your job. I mean, you know, you look around and you know, hey, 20, 30, 40, 50 guys aren't leaving here uh, with an assignment. They're leaving here at, with, without a job. And you want to do everything in your power to make sure that you're not one of those guys. And so the games, the, the minor league games are very competitive because not because people are really caring about wins and losses, but because they're playing for jobs or they're playing for assignments or they're playing to you also, Hey, it's not like you don't get evaluated every day in, in the minor league season. No, you've got, um, uh, you know, you, you, you know, you've got, the whole minor league staff, you've got everyone here. So you, you've got a lot to uh, to impress in minor league spring training. Yeah, there are a lot of eyes on those guys, um, both your own organization, uh, mostly your own organization, but also obviously you're getting scouted by other organizations as well. And then, of course, I, I just love the fact that J.J. Wright, when his minor league spring training is over, our uh, friend of B.A., Nick Belmonte, has a camp over in Orlando, <laughs> the Gainesville, Orlando area, but like uh, – I guess maybe he has it down in Fort Myers. It's like, hey, if uh, you got cut, here's an indie ball tryout camp, right? Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. I mean, it's well, that's that's the decision that guys have to make. Is is that that if you've got an agent or if you're yourself, if you get cut, the first thing you're doing is is okay. Is there another team out there, affiliated team out there that wants me? And it happens, but the the chances are very low because. Everyone else is in the same roster crunch. Right. You're not sitting there saying, hey, we're going to cut this guy, and then we're going to cut this guy, and then we're going to find 10 guys on waivers that we really, you know, that just got released that we're going to add to the club. That's not how teams approach it. So then you've got to make that decision. Okay, well, do I want to, if I'm, do I want to keep doing this? Do I want to go indie ball? Do I want to hope that if I keep it in shape, that a couple of months from now, there's a scout that I know who maybe really likes me and maybe he can get me on with their club when they have some injuries a whole kind of a lot of i was talking to a couple of farm directors already just saying like i know that this is the worst part of your job is coming up 
and they are all in a pretty much agreement. Yes, the worst part of the job is coming up because over the next two weeks, a lot of guys, a lot of people are going to be told, sorry, the dream that you've had since you were five, six, seven years old is over. And some of those guys are, are going to say, okay, well, it's time for me to go on and do something else with my life. And a, a lot of guys aren't going to be really ready to accept that that dream is over. And one or two of those guys may be right. For the majority of them, no, it is. You can keep trying to do it, but the reality of it is, is you're not going to be a big leaguer. The, the numbers of, of guys released as minor leaguers who end up as big leaguers is a very small list. Right, right, no doubt. Um, talking to J.J. Cooper here on the Baseball America podcast. J.J., um, well, let's get back. I actually have a question from a reader, Chris Webb, who's a college baseball writer based uh, in the Ohio State in the Columbus, Ohio area. He had a question about Alex Wimmers. Wasn't sure if you'd have a chance to see Alex Wimmers in Twins camp. Um, not sure if you saw the former first-rounder there, and if you did, how he looked or what any buzz was. But just in, I'll expand it to just in general. Uh, how the Minnesota Twins pitching look uh, at your brief look there? No, I didn't see Wimmers yesterday. I was seeing A-ball clubs. Um, there, a lot of times, what they do here is, is you know, they'll send the A-ball clubs will be at one place and the Double A, Triple A will be at another. I don't know with that. And obviously, with pitchers, it's even tougher. Like you're just really, it's the vagarities of that one day out of five days. So um, um, I, I may check with some twin guys to try to get a little update on on Wimmers, but. He was not one of the guys yesterday I saw. Really, probably, if you talked about the top prospect I saw pitching-wise for the Twins yesterday, it was uh, Hudson Boyd, who, who looked pretty solid. I'm um, still, you know, a big, thick guy, but uh, 92, 91, 92. And really, velocity-wise, most guys right now may not be at their true, you know, max velocity that they're gonna you're going to see during the season. There, This was the first official spring training game for, for any of the guys pitching yesterday. Um if you, I tweeted about this, but if you want to talk about deep, deep sleeper, and I'm not saying this guy's a top prospect or anything, but Cameron Boozer, uh, lefty for the Twins who threw yesterday, uh, non-drafted free agent last year out of Central Arizona Community College, was kind of a stood out to me from the standpoint of if you see non-drafted free agent, you don't expect to see stuff. Right. You know that's generally the rule. And he was a lefty who was 91 to 93. Uh, with some arm side run, you know, so the, the, it wasn't a straight fastball. It had a little bit of uh, movement on it. He also had a, a, a solid, uh, you know, some uh, change up that wasn't terrible. It was kind of just stood out from the standpoint of, hey, you're not expecting to see much. And then, no, this guy's actually got some stuff. Um, I, I don't, you know, I don't have the full backstory on him yet, but from just asking around a little bit, so I think he may have had some injuries in college and also, that's the name I'm, I'll put it this way. It put it on the radar where I'm going to be kind of interested to see. I would assume he might even be uh, going to, you know, kind of being held back in extended spring, but I'll be seeing what, you know, kind of what he does this year. And because he, he looked like a, a lefty, you know, potentially left a reliever who, who was a little better than, than maybe you would expect. Right. That, that, that sounds interesting. I mean, obviously the Red Sox and the twins have very highly regarded farm systems. And I just wasn't sure uh, what your ta- quick kind of quick takeaway was from, that that quick look uh, did they did they look like top farm systems when you when you saw them in that uh, yeah. matchup? Yeah, I, I, what stands out is is that there's a, just a number of guys who who stand out. Um, and you, again, you're not seeing everyone; you're seeing kind of little snippets of it. Uh, a lot of the Red Sox top guys are still in big league camp: Blake Swihart, Garen Chikini, Jackie Bradley, Alan Webster. You know, you could just go down the list. Um, 
But that being said, you still are seeing at the lower levels, got to see Manuel Margot, Rafael Devers, um, Trey Ball, as I said, Trey Ball, Cody Kukuk both pitched. So there's still a number of guys who stand out. You know, it's good to see Margot, who, if you were picking a guy who's going to rock it up prospect list in the next two years, he's a good guy to kind of look at um, because there's a whole lot of talent there. He just, he's in a system that has a whole lot of talent. Um, you know, he had, he had a couple of rough plays at third base, uh, uh, you know, yesterday, but, uh, you know, he, I mean, I'm trying to make sure I'm not flipping him with Devers. Devers actually Devers had a couple of rough plays, but, uh, in workouts in the morning, but, you know, Margot actually, uh, didn't do a whole lot in the game when I watched, but watching BP, he was spraying line drives everywhere. That's a little bit bigger of a leg kick than I expected to see. He does get it down early. It's a timing mechanism clearly for him, but you do always wonder a little bit with where the guy has that kind of big a leg kick. You you wonder, okay, is that something that he's going to have to uh, change and, and, and make adjustments to down the road because it's uh, so pronounced. It, 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 it's pronounced. And when it's pronounced like that, when you face more advanced pitching, that's something they can take advantage of because what it means is you got to get started earlier. So we, as the pitchers are changing speeds, it what kind of is the counterpoint to that is, is if a guy's hands work really well, even if he ends up kind of starting his timing mechanism all a little too soon, he can still use his hands to stay back and, and stay on the ball. Margot may be one of the guys who can do that because you just didn't see him. You saw him with the ability to square the ball up, you know, kind of pretty consistently, uh, especially in BP. But it was that was something that stood out a little bit. It's like, wow, that's a little bit more of a. I mean, it's really more of a. I, it's 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 in between a kick and a step, but it's more than just your normal little step to, to start your 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 uh, swing. Yeah, it's so unusual, JJ. Can you remember anybody uh, to date ourselves again? Did you, you mentioned uh, '70s baseball? Do you remember anybody in the '70s and '80s who did like a toe tap or the you know the, the kind of? It just seemed like yes. it seemed like everybody who who toe tapped in the '70s. Not toe tap, but let uh, oh. <laughs> okay, well that's <laughs> how about in the, in the major league baseball? In the major league baseball, then I can't really think of anyone. No, it just seems like that's a hitting mechanism that has evolved over the years. It's actually probably nothing, something we've never done a story on, but it does seem like, you know, batting stances. Uh, you know, in the '80s, you saw a lot of guys who uh, was it the Charlie Lau, Walt Riniak. You know, nobody does that anymore. It feels like there's a lot. There's still variance, but there's not uh, so many fewer exaggerated or unique. Batting stances, so uh, I don't know if the, uh, I I don't know if the increase in velocity has something to do with that, or or what. I, that's, that's what I would assume. But I also think it's an offshoot of uh, the the rise of uh, specialized instruction and showcases and all that at a younger level. I don't think that's entirely what it comes from, but I do think for a lot of guys, what it is is that instead of it being something where you kind of learn to hit what feels natural to you uh, on your own, I mean, there's the the famous story about Hank Aaron, you know, how he used to swing, you know, wrong-handed, you know, he had his hands crossed over wrong and helped build up his wrist. Well, that, that kind of thing nowadays, you have a lot of guys who are getting specialized hitting instruction from hitting instructors at, at, you know, at age 12, 13, 14, 15. And the reality of it is, is that most of the time you're going to end up with a much more conventional stance because the reality of it is, is that that normally it for, if you don't want a cookie cutter, but overall, that's something that, that stands out. Scouts, when they're, they're scouting a guy, if he has an unconventional stance, 
some guys are going to maybe put him down a little bit for that. You know, they're going to say, well, I don't know if that's going to work because he uh, climbs the ladder. Now, some guys, Brian Downing is a guy I always think of who, who really turned himself into a prospect and into a solid major leaguer because he was willing to be so unconventional with his stance. But, and you think of a guy like, like Gary Sheffield or Julio Franco, you, you know, some guys I, I've seen, I, I think with Sheffield was a guy who, to his credit, figured out his bat speed was so good that he had to do something to make himself slower. Right. Which I've actually had uh, someone tell me, you know, that Sheffield told him that at his point, it, you know, which is not something that you would tell, uh, you know, a young baseball player to do that, that pointing the bat at. So he had a longer path to get to his kind of his hitting position than most guys. But his bat speed was so incredible that he almost needed that because if he didn't, he was going to be out ahead of everything. Because yeah, I mean, the, same the time thing. that his brain said fire to the time that the bat got in the hitting zone was quicker than anyone else's. Yeah, no, Ricky Weeks had to be, had to do the same thing. Obviously not to the same effect that Sheffield did, but he did the exact, and that's why he hit the way he hit. His bat uh, was too fast. And, you know, I think, pitch, I think his pitch recognition is not as uh, good as Gary Sheffield's, and that's a big part of it. But Very few are. Very few are. Yeah, but I mean, like, but his hand speed, uh, his bat speed, uh, uh, you know, when he came out of Southern, we got those comparisons all the time. I mean, it's not like he's had a bad major league career. He just hasn't had a great major league career. He's been a you know good offensive player, but not a great one. And um, you know, he, he all, his body also has gone a little bit further south than than Sheffield's ever did. Um, JJ, uh, the other reason is that if you said fastest bat speed in the minors right now, and it's a more conventional swing, is Javier Baez? Oh, I'd yeah, say no that he doubt. probably has to bat. Absolutely, yeah. There's no there's no doubt about that. Uh, JJ, one other thing that I want to touch on, I'll let you go. Um, you're seeing the Orioles and the Rays. Uh, you already saw the Ray of them a little bit this morning, and now you're driving to a, like the upper levels of those two farm systems. Um, and, you know, the Rays system, you know, it's gotten uh, – we've, we've talked about it, I think, in the past, that there's um, more at the top levels there than in the bottom levels. But, you know, when you see the bottom levels of that organization, you're seeing basically a lot of the products of that quote-unquote draft bonanza from 2011 where they had 10 of the first 60 picks. Um you know, and that draft class hasn't gone off to a great start. You got uh, Taylor Guerrero with his Tommy John surgery. He's also had his drug suspensions, just like, you know, so he just checks in like every other Rays uh, top draft pick. Um, you know, I, I guess I'll set up by saying, like, from 2008 to 2011, the Rays' top draft picks uh, have all had a drug suspension <laughs> or they were traded or they've already retired, like 2009 Todd Glassman. Uh, who get the highest signing bonus? They traded him to the Diamondbacks. Now he's retired this spring. 2008, Tim Beckham had a 50-game suspension. Now he has a severe off-season injury. 2010, Josh Sale missed all of last year. They've already traded jo- uh, Drew Vettelson. 2011, Guerrero suspension. Mikey Montex a little bit of an underwhelming uh, career so far. But there's a lot of volume from that 11 draft class. I mean, what did you see anything in uh, your brief look so far at the Rays that? would change my opinion that their lower levels are really in trouble and that they're, they really haven't drafted well for four or five years. Uh, you know, not, I'm not going to go anything on really on personal experience from today because watching a, a couple of guys take BP and, and really out, it was a, a work day in many ways. So say watching PFPs isn't obviously going to change any, you know, gotcha. any minds or anything like that. Gotcha. But, uh, but no, I, I do think, and we wrote it in the, uh, the issue that's, I've read it for Pulse for the issue that's getting ready to go to press, that 
really, and we've talked about it, that the, the drafts are not where the Rays have kind of kept themselves in contention. What they've done, I think, as good a job as anyone at is is trades. And that, if you look, look at the top of their uh, their top prospects right now, the vast majority of them are guys that they brought in in trades. You've, and it's not, it's not guys who they brought in, you know, as draft picks. What they've done a really good job of is, is hey, we need a Jake Oder, you know, we need a pitcher. Okay, well, here's Jake Odorizzi. We'll bring that guy in. You know, they've, okay, we need a shortstop. Here's Hawk Julie. It's, they, when they needed a pitcher, it was Chris Archer. You know, you could just keep going back. That guy after guy who they've managed to target, and admittedly also it's partly because they're willing to trade a guy and they're, Really, their MO is to trade a guy a year or two before he hits free agency because, in most cases, they're not going to be able to afford him. And, you know, Will Myers, uh, there's just guy after guy who they've gone out and acquired, and they haven't missed on a whole lot of those guys. They know how to build a bullpen pretty expensively, and that's kind of kept them going. But this isn't a, a top 10 farm system like it used to be. Now, right. now, they draft a whole lot later than they used to, but since they started drafting later, they've, they haven't had a whole, whole lot of hits. If a guy, you know, to me, the guy I'm going to be, if you're picking out guys that to watch in the Rays system this year, um, I'm really interested. Andrew Tolles is a, uh, a potentially an impact guy if he puts it all together. And I think that's a big if, but he's interesting. There, I'll be very interested to see Hak Lee this year. How does he respond when he makes it back from, uh, a pretty significant knee injury, especially a significant knee injury when you say the entire, really the entire basis of why he could be an impact guy is based on his mobility and all. So that's obviously concerning. You know, there, there's a lot of things to watch for with them, but no, this isn't a system that stands out because it has a, a whole lot of fascinating guys, uh, you know, up, up and down the, uh, the farm system. Right, yeah, and and the Orioles are kind of the same way, obviously. I mean, their farm system down low. I mean, basically, they uh, had a pretty crucial um, draft class for them last year because they, they they've given away their whole 2014 draft. So they really need to hope that last year's draft class, that Josh Hart's and the some of the younger guys in last year's draft, obviously Hunter Harvey, uh, that some of those guys pan out because there's not going to be a, a large infusion of talent coming in the 2014 draft class uh, for for Baltimore. It, it- as you said, it'd be unconventional, but me and you just talking on the phone, you know, talking a couple days ago. If if you're the Orioles, is there not some, you know, would would it be crazy to say we're going to take some amateur scouts off of this year's draft or cross checkers, and we want to evaluate the international class as well as we ever possibly could, because hey, you you have you're going to have more they they're going to have probably as much if not more money to spend internationally that they're going to have in the in the draft. And absolutely, crazy, but I think you do your due diligence because one of the things with the draft, and I, I don't think we, it's not the biggest reason. The main, the main reason you dra- you scout all spring is to draft players in June. But you do hear this a lot when teams make trades. Uh, at least I hear this a lot where they're like, "Well, we like them as an amateur." And this is a guy mm-hmm. who had great reports on as an amateur. So you do your due diligence. But I agree with you. I do think there can be uh, a, a cre- if the Orioles are creative. Uh, they take some of their resources this spring um, after they've done their due diligence and that they, they after they scout their guys. Uh, for the, you know, if you think you've done enough for the draft, 
on basically your fourth to 40 rounders because the first three rounds they basically punted on. Um, but then you send some of those resources, and by resources I mean your scouts, to Latin America. Or you send a lot of those guys to Arizona this week like Ben's going to go see some of the top international signees and you put your financial resources there. And I, I think it's unfortunate the current CBA doesn't allow them to shift financial resources, really. Um, you know, I guess they could uh, blow the, you know, they could blow the the international well, caps off. But I, I, I think this is a, acquiring baseball talent, research and development is one of the few parts of my life, JJ, where I'm actually for free and unfettered markets. <laughs> well, I, I do think that, that we've talked about since this new CBA came into being, baseball is less worried. The draft and all this is not as much about competitive balance as it is limiting spending below the major league level. Right. And then uh, the Players Association, understandably, in some way, is complicit in that, in that, hey, they want you to spend money in free agency. They want you to spend money that way. But if you look at it, I do think the next loophole that is going to end up getting closed is that right now you can go out there and say, you know what, we're going to spend crazy in the internationally one year and we'll take the hit the next year. And then, but we'll, and we'll use, I mean, the reality is, is if you're the, if you're the Orioles, the, the penalty for going way over your bonus, your signing allotment in the international is that you can't sign anyone for more than $250,000 the next year. Right. Well, if you look back at the last 10 years, how many years did the Orioles spend more than $250,000 on guys internationally? Yeah, great question. It's not that big of a penalty for them compared to past years. How about this, JJ? When they signed the Ofelki Peralta in the offseason for, I think it was $325,000, $350,000, that was the largest bonus they've ever given to a Dominican amateur. So that was that so tells that's, you. Yeah, that's no penalty for them. That's, that's, oh, we can only spend what we've always spent. But that's where I do think that loophole is going to get closed because what's going to happen is that baseball, the, the international draft is coming because then what's going to happen is, is the penalties for that would be instead of you can only sign guys for 250000 or more is we're going to take away your picks in next year's draft, international draft. Right. And I wouldn't be – again, I'm not, I'm not going on limit and predicting that's happening. I will say, though, it's a, it's a logical offshoot if, if – Major League Baseball decides, well, we haven't planned down on spending internationally as much as we had hoped for. Right. Well, that's the next thing you do because then it closes that door and then you really are locked in much like you are in the draft. But again, I don't know if that's necessarily a good thing because as we've talked about many times, baseball has created much more incentives now that if you are awful – you get much, you get significant incentives to get that will make you better than if you're just merely mediocre. Mediocre now means that you've got to hit on your draft a lot more than if you're awful. If you're awful, you're going to have your pick of the best players, and there's not really any exceptions to that now. Whereas if you're merely mediocre, you're gonna, you can, if you draft really well, you can still build through the farm system, but it's going to be a lot tougher than if you've got the one, two, or three pick where you're going to have – millions more to spend in the draft than a guy a team that picks 15th i agree I know, yeah, by the I, way if you sign free agents you're going to lose that pick where right. you don't it's the top 10 
Yep, no, I agree. I think this feels like the more, uh, again, the law of unintended consequences seems to constantly bite MLB on these um, efforts to limit uh, signing bonuses. And I just, you know, I don't under- I don't quite understand that. I think it'd be much better for major league teams if they stopped, if, if they made more mistakes in the draft for a million dollars and fewer mistakes on Ryan Howard for $125 million. So <laughs> the mistakes at the big league level are much bigger mistakes. Um, JJ, we got, uh, I'll let you go in a minute, but we got a lot of Twitter questions. Hey, I'm, in, I'm in the car, so I'm fine. <laughs> I know, but I got a lot to do. So I'm going to let you go after I, uh, I'm going to hit you up on this uh, quick rapid fire Twitter questions. Got a lot of questions on Twitter at John Manuel BA at JJ Coop 36 are our Twitter handles. Uh, Simon, who's at Federer Funhouse, asks, how do Alberto Torado and uh, Laborte look? What's the Lansing rotation going to look like? Not sure if you saw those pictures. Uh, I guess it's Hiro Laborte, JJ. It took me a minute to remember Hiro's name, which is one of my favorite names in baseball. Hiro Laborte. I'm, I'm not sure if I'm pronouncing it right, but it's fun to say Hiro Laborte. Uh, what th- would you think? Unfortunately, didn't get to see uh, either of them in, in my one-day look. Um, I, I do think Lansing, that Lansing rotation is, I, I actually kind of asked Clayton uh, McCullough, their uh, director of instruction, about that after uh, after the games and all. And very noncommittal. Um, it's early in spring training. I, I Even if they know, I think that they don't want it to be known if they know who guys where guys are going because – but it's true. It's going to be very competitive. Not everyone's going to make that Lansing club that you know wants to, obviously. And so there are some battles there. I, I think, but I I feel confident in saying that if, without any question, if you said what's going to be the most interesting club in the Blue Jays farm system this year, you know, without I'm not going to we can't include the uh, short season rookie league teams in this yet because we don't know what their draft's going to be. But uh, it's going to be Lansing. You know, now, again, they you talk about team, they've been hurt because they've gone out and drafted guys who haven't signed. So right. it, how much better could it even be than it is? But they're going to have a couple of, you know, they're going to have an extra picks because of that in this year's draft. And they do have, I think, pretty pretty safe that Rowdy Tellez probably makes that club. Um, I wouldn't say it's outlandish at all to think that, that Barreto makes it, that Mitch Ney makes it. That right there, that's an infield that's going to be worth watching. Yeah, we, actually, we had a couple questions. We had a couple okay. questions, JJ, about we had a couple questions about Rowdy Telez and the Blue Jays. Something I like you, you did get a chance to see Telez. Who, who did you see uh, in Toronto? I did and- see Telez. Yes. Telez played the whole game. Um, like they made a point. Like Telez played the whole game. Nay and Barreto and all played about half of it. Um, you know, got one thing that stood out was is that this is not you know apropos of nothing, but Willing to get dirty. Uh, you, I took video. You'll see it on the site uh, before too long. But you know, had was covered it head to toe in dirt. Um, you know, played pretty high energy. Body looked pretty good. I think that's always been a question with uh, you know with with Rowdy because he is a, a bigger first baseman. But the body looked good. Um, you know, again, I, I I preface this. I see a lot of baseball. Now. I'm I'm not a scout. Uh, but swing looked pretty uh, pretty pure. Just he. He looked the part. He, he looked like what you would expect to see, uh, a pretty advanced lefty uh, first baseman who seems ready. Uh, again, it would not shock me at all. I, I would think that he probably is ready for, for low A. And, J.J., a lot of the other questions. I'm not sure if you saw Yoel Macias in uh, uh, Philly's camp. 
or Roman Quinn. I guess there are reports that Roman Quinn's running and that Yoel Macias is already uh, back on his throwing program. I'm not sure if you saw either of those guys. Again, I know you had a brief look. Those, um, you know, because for one thing, I was I, my flight in on Tuesday, man, I got there right in time for the game. So I didn't get to see any workouts for either of those teams. And, uh, you know, Quinn, Quinn, if he's working, it's probably working in more of the, you know, uh, pretty much the schedule here for minor league teams every day, with a few exceptions, is you show up there. You know, they're they're at the, the complex by eight eight thirty in the morning. They're on the field by a little after nine fifteen or so. Do some you know some kind of workouts and all get ready. BPs start around ten, and then they're doing a lot of the, kind of the regular instruction. You, like today at race camp, I mean, I you know just have a little slice of life of what it is like for these guys. So you have on one field, you have, te- you know, hitters taking BP, uh, you know, pitchers shagging in the outfield on another field. You have uh, guys taking BP, but they also have a uh, uh, pitching machine just facing the, the fence behind home plate. And they got a net set up, spawning there over, uh, you know, on the kind of the half field. They had pitchers doing PFPs over uh, kind of with kind of the extra, uh, you know, the extra bullpen mounds in between feet park fields. They have uh, catchers who are sitting there working on blocking drills. You have, you know, they had, they worked on, they had pitchers work on throwing intentional walks. The catcher signals the intentional walk. Okay. Here's how you throw it. You know, you, you get a lot of those details. Uh, you know, that's where the detail work comes in is that you want to have all that set in place to do it the Rays way or the Blue Jays way or the Phillies way, or take your pick during that's what you do in the morning so that hopefully when it comes around to game time in the afternoon, you pull off, you do the things, you know, they're working on situations. Okay. Fielding drills. Okay. There's bases loaded. No out. Okay. What are we going to do here? Let's work on the signs. What are you going to, all those things that all gets worked out during spring training. That's uh, that's why backfields are so much fun, JJ. I mean, who, who doesn't want to watch catching drills? <laughs> you know, that, that, yeah. they actually, but the whole thing yeah, is actually fun though. I, mean, I, I love, I just love the atmosphere of uh, of of the backfield, just because, like you said, it's the one thing they aren't. Gal- there, there are no big league prices, and there's no pretense. It's people are there to work, and uh, you really get to see these guys gearing up for a season. Um, and you get to see multiple guys gearing up. It's a, it's, a, it's a lot of fun. Although I will point out that the Red Sox, who can print money at this point because they've got such a fan base, they're the one place. The backfield to the Red Sox do have a concession stand. You can get a Fenway Frank. Uh, you know, at the Red Sox minor league fields, which <laughs> most of the other minor league parks I've been to, you know, the backfields at the uh, spring training complexes don't even think of the idea of having a concession stand. But you do in Boston. You do for the Red Sox. Well, we want to remind oh, everybody. I saw, another thing I saw yesterday with that was okay. the other thing. So Rich Hill came in, pitched a, uh, you know, a, a, an inning of a simulated game. And then they had a Japanese pitcher. I don't even have his name yet. But a Japanese pitcher who they're kind of trying out, they wanted to see if they wanted to sign him or not. So they had him go out and do uh, an inning of a sim game. So you truly do never know what you're going to see on the backfields. Again, I, I got to track down who this guy's name is. But, you know, he was 84, 86, but kept everything low, had a split, all that. Everything you would expect kind of from a uh, control-type Japanese pitcher. But you never know what you're going to see on the backfields from one day to another. Yeah, that's that, that's a mystery Japanese pitcher. That's interesting. Uh, now you've, you've piqued my interest. Well, when you find it out, I'm sure you'll tweet it at JJCoop36. Um, obviously, you can look for JJ's coverage on the uh, baseballamerica.com, and we'll have 
and obviously uh, his tweet at JJCoop36. And JJ will podcast when you come back and uh, review uh, your trip to Florida. And uh, just looking forward to the whole thing. And uh, I'm sorry I don't have more time. Taking, I mean, that's one thing is, is we're, you know, you'll be able to see a lot of these guys. Unfortunately, it's a little hard to to edit and then post on a uh, spotty uh, hotel uh, Wi-Fi connection. But uh, but we will have a lot of video of these guys so you can see what they're looking like right now, too. Time to hit the library. <laughs> <laughs> uh, Byron Buxton style. So uh, so for our Byron Buxton correspondent, J.J. Cooper, uh, correspondent for other, uh, all, all things Florida spring training, I'm John Manuel. We'll be back on another part of this Baseball America podcast with Josh Norris from Arizona as we continue talking spring training here at the Baseball America podcast. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich, but you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun? Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba.